There you go. You're welcome. So on that list I just gave you guys, you have what I call the course material. These are just the books that I'm pulling information from. So some of them are in the library or the bookstore. Um, none of them are that expensive except for the Ginsburg one, which is the third one down. So if you did want to do any additional reading, you're welcome to. Um, also, when I pass out this, this is the growing booklet for section two. When I'm done with section two, I'll pass this out. And then that also has all the reading and the different pages uh, on it. Owen, did you want one of these? It has the course information. And then here's, if you didn't grab one of these yet. Yep. Okay. <clears throat> Looks like we, the front row is kind of. Alakai, can you take the donuts and put them outside? There's a table. There's a table to the left out there. Just put them on that table. Hey, Carol. Don't you have an ABF to be leading? Yeah. Okay. Oh, man. All right. Okay, so we'll start. We'll just start. Um, I know there's more people coming in, but, you know, we got to just keep moving. So we will start with the end of our lesson from last week, the end of Chapter 4, verses 13 to 16. Let me just turn this down a little. Okay, that's probably better. Okay, so <clears throat> let's see here. I will start by just reading those verses 13 to 16 in chapter 4. You're welcome. <clears throat> Everyone have a good holiday. Enjoy your time off. Hopefully, Caleb. Did you want this? I know you weren't here in the beginning. That's kind of the course outline, the books we're using, etc. Okay. So again, we'll start by reading chapter 4, verses 13 to 16. And as a, rem as a reminder, if you have a question, um, get a microphone and ask your question into the mic because of the benefit it gives to people in this class and other people in the church who listen to the podcast. <clears throat> or I think that's what it's called. Okay. Microphone, yes. Uh, Jake has one, and where's the other one? And Owen guys have one. Okay. All right, 
chapter 4, verses 13 to 16. Happier a poor and wise youth than an old and foolish king who does not yet know to be admonished. For a prisoner may go from prison to a throne, whilst a king may become a beggar in his own kingdom. I see all the living who walk under the sun with the sociable youth who standeth up in his place. There is no end to all the people, to all over whom he rules. Yet those who will live afterward shall not rejoice in him, for even this is vanity and striving after the wind. Okay, so the first question, um, so to kind of summarize that, even if your toil takes you all the way to be king, if you're alone and can't take advice, you will be forgotten and better off if you remain poor. So better to be poor and wise than have made it all the way to the top, but be all alone and not willing to listen to anyone. So the poor wise youth is better. Why? Can you guys name a couple of reasons why the poor wise youth is better off? That's actually here in the text. Yep. I'm on to you. Owen? Because they know how to take advice. Okay. And think about that for a second. What's involved with someone taking advice? I mean, just on a very simple level. Jake? Humility. Okay, humility. What else? Maybe even more fundamental than that. Or basic, I could say basic. Someone taking advice, what's involved? Stacy. Oh, I gave him two already. Uh, Owen, you want to pass the microphone over? Is everything all right? Yeah, it's all right. <laughs> Forgot something, huh? <laughs> See you guys. Knowing um, how to listen. Knowing how to listen. Okay, knowing how to listen. Yep. What else? Maybe also understanding that you don't know everything. Yeah, you don't know everything. Being willing to listen. Um, humility. Also, what, what else is involved? I mean, just on a really simple, basic level. Picture a person taking advice. What's it a picture of? What's in that picture? Obedience. Obedience. Okay, you guys are talking about heart issues. I mean, like, let's say you're taking a picture of it, literally. What are you taking a picture of? What? Let's say you're, I'm just, let's, I mean, this is an important thing because you gotta think, yeah, there's another person. There's an, another individual there who is giving advice. There has to be someone else there. So if you're all alone, you're not getting that, right? So that's another tie into his benefit of having friends 
being friendly. If you're alone, you don't get that. Okay. That's again, just a real simple thing. You guys are so smart. You're thinking four steps ahead, but sometimes it's just, it's good to slow down and kind of think, okay, what's really involved in taking advice? Well, the king who's not taking advice or doesn't know how to do it, it might be because no one's there. It might be because he doesn't listen. It might be because people are too afraid to give him advice or whatever, but there's, there's a lot of possibilities, okay? But on a fundamental level, to get advice, there has to be someone else there. So again, that shows the value of, of other people. Um, okay, and the poor wise youth then by implication does take advice, right? He does listen, he's wise. Um, so what else is better about the poor and wise youth in this context? He knows how to take advice. Right, we just covered that. Um, verse 14. He's why. Oh. He isn't poor. He went from prison to the throne, so he isn't poor anymore because he knew how to take advice. Um, okay, I will read it. Um, I'll read it in here because it, it is a little bit different. Um, happier a poor and wise youth than an old and foolish king who does not yet know to be admonished. For a prisoner may go from prison to a throne while a king may become a beggar in his own kingdom. So if you're at the top, your possibilities are, in a sense, um, his possibilities are he can go down while the poor... That even someone in prison could go all the way to the throne. So in some sense, Alakai? So you're saying that the poor is at an advantage because he can't go any further down, he can only go up, and as for the king, he can only go down, he can't go up anymore? Yeah, or at least there's, um, there's the possibility of that, right? Not that it's going to happen, but that's better. The person, there's hope for him. Um, okay. Um, okay, so here's a, another question, because he is saying it's better or happier that this poor wise youth is better than an old and foolish king who does not yet know how to be admonished. It, so in other words, he's, he is not being admonished. He has continued to not be, so he hasn't even learned to do that yet, okay? Um, what is, like, do you... I know this is kind of a dumb question, so I don't expect you to answer it, but do you really believe that it's better to be poor and wise than rich and not take advice? So if we think in our culture um, of the powerful people or the people that are idealized, you could say, um, are not poor and wise, but rather powerful and mighty and don't have to take advice. So. I guess the question would be something like, what things would you think that this poor and wise youth would be prioritizing as in contrast to the, the old and foolish king who does not take advice? What would the poor and wise youth be prioritizing? Is that 
and this is outside of the text, I understand that. Um, but just, Zach? Um, would the poor, wise youth be prioritizing, like, I guess we've talked about before, like those who are wise seek more wisdom. So would he probably be prioritizing, like seeking out more wisdom, seeking advice, um, and probably, you know, uh, reviewing his wisdom, you know, trying to live wisely, meditating on what he's learned, that kind of thing. Yeah, no, exactly. Um, hence the wisdom, right? The other thing is that's interesting is it's in contrast to how we think about it. Um, and I assume cultures throughout time tend to think of the rich or the powerful as the ones that should be idolized, right? Or the ones that should be um, copied or imitated, not the poor person. So it sort of turns things on its head in that sense, but you're right, the wise would be continually seeking advice uh, or continually seeking wisdom. Part of that is advice. Um, and as we talked about earlier, in order to receive advice, he'd want to be surrounding himself with friends, good advisors, people who are good examples, things like that. So that's some other things to think about and not isolating yourself. So if you isolate yourself, who you're not finding advice, right? Wisdom is found in a multitude of counselors. So um, in contrast to that, though, what does the king have? What is, what is it, what's the king's benefit? He has a lot of money. Okay, he has money. He can do whatever he wants. He can do what he wants, meaning he has power, right? Okay. Um, any other ideas? I thought he was the one that could get poor. He could get poor, yeah. He could wise up, right, yeah. Uh, but he, like, if you think of his real benefits, right, and they are benefits in some way, he does have power, he does have money, um, he has presumably some kind of influence, right? I mean, he could change the land to be whatever he decreed. And there's a lot of benefits to being in that position. But what's being highlighted here is that if he doesn't have that, if he's not listening to people and in some way improving things, right, then it's better to be that poor and wise youth. This just seems very counterintuitive. Uh, we don't have any oligarchs saying, oh man, I'm going to give all my money away and get smart. Uh, it's just the opposite. Right. I th yeah. Everybody I poor and smart on the streets, they want to get rich. Right, because what's being valued or prioritized is that wealth and power and influence as opposed to prioritizing the wisdom. So that's a fundamental difference. So it sort of turns the stereotype on its head so you could see the true value in wisdom. So wisdom is so valuable, right? It's better to have that wisdom and listen to advice than to be all the way at the top, to have all the power and strength and influence and yet be devoid of that wisdom. That's how worthwhile and valuable wisdom is. So in some way, it's a way of highlighting the value of wisdom. Yes, Zach. Do you have two papers, Jen? Okay. Yeah, um, I was gonna say with the 
power and the wealth without the wisdom. I mean, we see this kind of thing in our country or in other countries that politicians will sometimes even in a good sense, they'll just waste it. Like it'll just, they'll think it's a good idea and it won't end up really doing much of anything. It'll kind of be a waste yeah. or even worse. Sometimes it'll just cause more problems. It's like they spent all this time and money and influence and it just made things worse. So it's like all of that power, wealth, influence without wisdom usually doesn't end up getting anything better. It just wastes or even makes things worse. Yeah. Yeah. And again, the, the point is not to say wealth or influence or power is bad and being poor is good. It really is just highlighting that wisdom is so valuable. That, that's really what it's highlighting. Um, so we talked about what's better about the poor and wise youth. Um, well, also, one thing we didn't mention is he's young. He has time, right, to do something. The old king is coming to the end of his time. So his time's up. So in some sense, there isn't as much time left for him to do anything. Um, okay. And as we'll see as we move on, um, that the real when we look at this chart kind of to wrap up the this chapter we see that the person who had a friend was better off than he who was alone right and so this poor and wise youth also uh, presumably has those friends and those connections because he is taking the advice or seeking advice and um, involved in that way okay so I know it's been a little while since we looked at the previous uh, chapter four, but remember, and this is like what your, is on your table. Hopefully you filled it out from last time or remember to some degree, but verses one to three dealt with the people who were involved in that oppressive struggle right, the person who was working to get to the top, oppressed others, um, they were compared to those who had never lived. So those involved in that oppressive struggle um, were worse off than the person who'd never lived. That would was verses one to three. And our question at the end of this is kind of what do these things have in common or how would you summarize these? And I'm just trying to end our previous chapter before we we move on so i just wanted to at least be somewhat complete so four to six uh what was being compared is one whose work comes from envy and jealousy and his desire to outdo his neighbor um, the person better than that was one who is the sluggard or doesn't excel at work but at least enjoys a meal right so that person was seen as better off because they were at least wise enough to enjoy their meal. Seven to 12, one who is alone works endlessly, but doesn't find pleasure in his riches. He never stops to consider why he does what he does. There's no one to lift him up. Um, he lacks that someone to defend him, etc. That person was compared to the one who has a friend whose reward is in his toil. Right, he has someone to lift him up, uh, someone to keep him warm while he's sleeping, and someone to help defend against an oppressor. Those are all things that we just 
we talked about last time. That's verses 7 to 12. Um, so your advice there could be something like the value of friendship, right? Truly valuing friends, learning to be a friend, things like that. Um, 13 to 16 is what we just briefly looked at. That old and foolish king as compared with the poor and wise youth um, who can rise to the top, right? So there's hope for him. And the old and foolish king who doesn't take advice, he can sink to the bottom. Th you know, things can just get worse for him. And even though he rose to the top, no one will remember him, which is what was spoken of, that his... Um, his Uh, let's see. Yet those who live afterwards shall not rejoice in him, for even this is vanity and a striving after wind. So even though he got all the way to the top, um, he didn't, he's going to be forgotten. It'll be over when he's dead. It's not a whole lot of benefit there. Um, so these verses are pretty heavy on what not to do, and the focus is on not competing with others and trying to be better than them, but focus on something along the lines of being a friend, enjoying your work as a blessing, and not as a means of achieving greatness. So those, some other ways of thinking about that are those who are in a competition to get to the top without regard for others and valuing others are on the side of the oppressors. That's what, what we talked about last time. So what do you think, just as we briefly went over that, what do those scenarios all have in common? Some common threads that run through those. Got attacked. Owen. Um, Alakai, would you go to the sound room and let him know that the piano is coming in through our... Okay. Um, Carol's probably demonstrating something. Well, there's an ideal example, and then there's an example that's not ideal in all these scenarios. Okay. Okay. So two different things being compared at a fundamental level, right? Okay. Um, what are some common themes, though, or threads that run through it? Uh, yes, Marina. Well, I don't know that I can say that something to that, but it came to mind that that on the one hand, it's all about me. It's more like the selfish, um, selfishness is the main value, whereas on the other hand, there's also regard for others. Um, because, you know, on the, on the, the one side, it's, it's like they're all alone right. and, and pushing others away and, you know, just, just getting ahead. Yeah. Whereas on the other side, it's, you know, 
seeking wisdom and advice and and friendship regarding other people maybe more than those material values yes no that's that's right i mean i think that answers the question nicely that is a common thread that goes from the beginning to the end um if you're seeking to oppress others you're clearly not seeking their interest right um that's contra like that's so bad it destroys both people you know people on either side better to not even live um and then the person who works out of envy and jealousy for the other person in a competition with them they're they're also not seen as a good thing right um it's better that they, they in some sense what he's saying is it's better not to even do that work and just enjoy your meal because at least you get something out of it and then you had the value of friendship in the next one and then sort of but contrasted again with the person who's struggling to get ahead and succeed but is alone right and has gained riches and wealth and honor and then you look at the v super extreme of that at the end which is the king who's made it all the way to the top right more powerful than i mean if you think of a king they're more powerful than any corporate millionaire billionaire we have now right because they actually are in control of people and armies and other things so and nevertheless if that person is alone and doesn't even take advice it's better to be at the very end of the spectrum in terms of wealth and power and prestige but at least have wisdom which again involves other people so um those are some common threads wisdom valuing others when you work also enjoying just different aspects of the work right so these people who are seen as sort of the negative are it's it's not work um itself necessarily right i mean scripture is full of plenty of examples of the value of work and the benefit of work and hard work and diligence um however if done for yourself and in competition with others is seen in a pretty negative light here okay um other comments or questions on that before we move on to chapter five no okay chapter five um is pretty interesting there's and this is kind of the problem with this study that I've come across is that there's a lot of there can be some difference in <clears throat> the way it's translated and that's why I've kind of relied on Ginsburg because I do like his translation a lot um, but this f beginning I I'll just read it and feel free to follow along I'm just going to my hope is to get through the first seven verses. Um, so if we don't get there, that's okay. Uh, we'll just pick up next week. But my hope is to get through the first seven verses. I'm going to read it in Ginsburg's translation. And then as we go along, it's not that different, but there's just some nuances that make it a little clearer is all. Um, okay. <clears throat> Keep thy feet when you go to the house of God, for it is nearer to obey than to offer the sacrifice of the disobedient, as they who obey know not to do evil. 
Do not hasten on thy mouth, and do not urge thy heart to utter words before God, for God is in heaven, and you are upon the earth. Therefore, let your words be few. Moreover, dreaming comes through the multitude of things, and foolish talk through the multitude of words. When you vow a vow to God, do not hesitate to pay it, for fools have no fixed will. Pay that which you have vowed. Better that you should not vow than that you should vow and not pay. Do not suffer thy mouth to cause your flesh to sin, and do not say before the angel that it was an error. Why should God be angry on account of your idle talk and destroy the work of your hands? For it is through the multitude of idle thoughts and vanities and much talking, but fear thou the Lord. Okay, so we'll walk through that now. The first part, I kind of give you a, a brief outline of that. The first part in, in the ESV where it says guard your steps when you go to the house of God, that's talking about the way that you'll, you approach. The next couple of verses there, verses two and three, are talking about prayer or speaking when you're in the temple. Uh, the four, verses four and on, um, are talking about vows then. You could think of it as your promises to do things when you leave the temple. <clears throat> okay, so this phrase, keep your feet. Let me see here. Getting a little too long. Okay. This verses one to three, you could think of it as how to enter and pray when you're in the temple. So keep your feet. Would, if, would someone read Psalm 119.101 and someone else read Galatians 2.14? Uh, Caleb, would you do the Psalm 119.101? And Alex, would you be so kind as to do Galatians 2.14? If you have a microphone, please make sure you're giving it to one of those gentlemen. <laughs> If you have two microphones, then. <laughs> uh, Psalm 119.101, when you get there. I have kept my feet from every evil path to follow your word. Yep, that's pretty straightforward, right? Keep your feet, meaning, what do you think? Keep your, okay, control yourself. Alex, you want to read yours? But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? Right, so not in step with, their feet are not in line with. The idea of a path is pretty clear in Proverbs, pretty ubiquitous. The idea of keeping your feet then is that your feet should be straight, running in the way of God's commands. In other words, the individual should be obedient, 
right? Keeping your feet walking in the path all has that same idea of you're following God's commands, you're living obediently. So the idea of keeping your feet then is that you're walking obediently, you're living in an obedient way. I'm going to read from Kidner, page 52. I'm sure most of you have already read this, so I'll just... Okay. Koalath turns his observant eye on man as worshiper. Like the prophets, he presses for reality in this realm, that is, those coming to the temple to worship, but his tone is quiet, though his words are razor sharp. Whereas the prophets hurl their invective against the vicious and the hypocrites, this writer's target is the well-meaning person who likes a good sing and turns up cheerfully enough to church, but who listens with half an ear and never quite gets around to what he has volunteered to do for God. Such a man has forgotten where and who he is, above all, who God is. The reiterated word fool is scathing. He's going with the fool translation, which probably the ESV has. Ginsburg uses obedient or, or sorry, disobedient. Nevertheless, the reiterated word fools is scathing, for to be casual with God is, in verse 1, an evil, in verse 6, a sin, and a provocation which will not go unpunished, 6b. If we are tempted to write this off as a piece of Old Testament harshness, the New Testament will disconcert us equally with its warnings against making pious words meaningless or treating lightly what is holy. No amount of emphasis on grace can justify taking liberties with God, for the very concept of grace demands gratitude and gratitude cannot be casual. Okay, so would someone please read Matthew 7.21? Alakai? Matthew 7.21. Go ahead and read when you get there. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Doesn't sound right. Oh, whoops, that's Matthew six twenty one. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Okay, so there you get the idea of people who think they're children of God, people who are comfortable in God's presence, people who, to one degree or another, have even done things that God calls them to do, and yet they're not, in the end, his children. Um, I'm going to, can someone read 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-seven? First Corinthians eleven twenty seven. <clears throat> 
So then, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sin against the body and blood of the Lord. Okay, so there it's, we're talking about the Lord's Supper, um, but nevertheless, the same basic idea applies. There are real consequences when you take things of the Lord lightly. Um, so doing that in an unworthy manner, uh, MacArthur notes, is to worship in a mundane, habitual manner without reverence. So sort of just going through the motions. That's the idea. So you show up, just going through the motions. That's not a neutral thing, is the point. That's a, it's an evil. Okay, so uh, verse 50, or sorry, the, what does he say? Read it in the ESV here. To draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools. So that idea of listening there, Ginsburg actually just translates as obedient. Um, for it is nearer to obey than to offer the sacrifice of the disobedient. But the reason he does that is that, and I'll read from Kidner here, to listen in 1B has the double force in Hebrew, which it sometimes has in English, to pay attention and to obey. So this saying is close to the famous words of Samuel, to obey, literally to listen, is better than sacrifice. So that's from 1 Samuel 15, 22. Um, here, however, the meaningless worship is unwitting. One's sin is that of a fool rather than a rogue, if that is any consolation. Koaleth would hardly encourage us to think so. His reminder that God has no pleasure in fools, in verse 4, is as quietly crushing a remark as any in the book. Okay. Um, I'll read that passage since it is so famous. 1 Samuel 15, 22. Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to listen than the fat of rams. Okay. For rebellion is as the sin of divination and presumption is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he also rejected you from being king. Does anyone know who he's talking to there? Who? Saul. Yeah, he's talking to Saul after he didn't fully do what God called him to do through Samuel. Um, and so when he came to him, he had excuses, but he hadn't actually done it. Okay, so the, the expression nearer to obey... <laughs> Um, keep thy feet when thou goest to the house of God, for it is nearer to obey than to offer the sacrifice of the disobedient. The idea there is to keep one's feet in the way of obedience, which prevents doing evil, is a much nearer way to appear before God 
than the roundabout way of sinning and then having to bring a sin offering. In other words, you're nearer to oh God, you're nearer to God when you obey. You don't have to then offer the sacrifice to then get back into the Lord's presence. You're already there. Um, and the idea, as they who obey know not, this one I'm a little less confident in, but I didn't really find an answer that was super satisfying. So, But the expression there, as they who obey know not to do evil, Ginsburg says, this clause is explanatory of the remark made in the preceding one, showing how it is that obedience is the near way to God. So in other words, it's explaining what he just said. How is it near? This is how. Those that obey can appear at once before God, as they have not to go and bring a sin offering first. They know not how to commit sin, so they haven't. It hasn't happened, so they can go right into God's presence. Okay. So what, this brings up the question that is not necessarily related to the past. I mean, it's related to the passage, but it's not flowing directly out of the passage, but it is for us, what specific commands are we, or you individually, seeking to obey? So if the command is, in other words, come to the, the temple, or in our case, the church, right? having walked in obedience or in a state of walking in obedience, what are commands that we are seeking to obey? What are some commands that we're seeking to obey? Um, so if, right, so if we're not working to obey what God calls us to do, we're probably not taking his commands that seriously. So the question then could be some commands would be things to do, um, and some obeying other commands might be things, not, things to do. not to do, right? So what are some to do and not to do that we're working on? <clears throat> Owen? Encouraging one another, loving okay. one another. Loving one another, encouraging one another, okay. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, um, consider others more important than yourself. Okay. Is that Philippians 2, 3 to 4, somewhere in there? Excellent. Okay. Those are good things to be working on. Okay. Any other ideas there? About for husbands, could be living with your wife in an understanding way. Wives, submitting to your husbands. Um, for parents, disciplining your children. Raising them in the fear and admonition of the Lord. These are just some ideas that I threw out. Making the best use of the time. Other ideas? <clears throat> Bridget. Not forsaking the gathering of believers. Okay, not forsaking the gathering of the saints, fellowship of the saints. So what, what would that look like for you then? Um, I mean, if you were to forsake it, what would it? I think if you stop going regularly. To church? Yeah. Like, okay. obviously, like, 
for me, sometimes we will take a trip to New Hampshire and we might be there for a month. And so obviously I'm not meeting with my regular church community, but I'm still gathering with other believers while I'm there. And then when I return, I'm, I don't know if that makes sense. But Yeah, no, sure. So then the obeying the command is coming regularly to church. Yeah. Okay. And it might be, you know, if we stretch it a little bit more, it might be like being involved in people's lives to the point where you're encouraging each other each day to be growing and maturing, right? Okay. Oh, I have one. Um, confronting a brother or sister if they have sinned um, and kind of following those steps of um, if they're not listening, taking somebody else with you, that whole protocol is something we're commanded to do. Yeah. And why is that so integral to the fellowship of the saints? Um, we can't fellowship if darkness and light are intermixing and people aren't going to be shown their sin if we're not um, kind of taking part in that, being a light to them. Okay. And vice versa for us. Too. <clears throat> we need other people to show us kind of when we're wrong. And how frequent do you think that happened? Like, it just in terms of, do you think sin is something that normally crops up, or is that sort of like a once in a while thing? Oh, well, you know, in a marriage relationship, it might be every day, or with your children, it might be every day, or close friends. Right. <laughs> and then, you know, other people that you don't know as well, maybe it pops up every so often, but... Yeah. Well, in fact, the more time we spend with people, the more we see... And the more we see, the more we realize, oh, there's a lot of sin there, just like me, right? It's not just other people. But that's the value, going back to kind of what Coalette's talking about, that's another value in other people is that they bring, they don't bring it out in us, but they see it in us. And um, they, in, in some ways they do bring it out, but it's only because it's there, right? And now I'm forced to be kind to this person or not just think about myself. And that poses problems, right? If what I want to do is think about myself. Okay, so <clears throat> um, not to do could be looking at pornography, getting drunk, looking at women or men and lust. It could be, you know, maybe w from reading this, we realize, wow, we're probably work we're working too much or something, you know, and maybe we need to just step back a little, spend a little more time with the family. Alakai. Not eating too much. Not eating too much. What's something that you're working on? Is there something that you're working on? <laughs> That's not a, a problem when you're young. What's something you're working on? Um, not provoking uh, my sisters. Yeah, that's good. That's a useful thing. Okay, and that, believe it or not, is something that, you know, will be a constant struggle, right? Oh, that, I believe it all right. <laughs> there's lots of ways to, um, that that can manifest itself. Okay, so when we come to God's house, we should be thinking of how we can grow into the image of Christ. This is in some ways what, oh, Alex, you had a comment? Well, I was going to go back to your initial statement um, about the temple and the church. 
because it seems like based on like what Christ has taught and what Paul teaches, like our bodies are in, in some aspect, the temple of the living God. And so it's not just a matter of, oh, when we get together with people, make sure that we're doing these things, but it should be at all times because, you know, we are the temple. Yeah. Um, let's, I think that ties in nicely with what I was about to say. So let me say it and then see if you agree. Okay. Um, so when we, when we come to God's house or really any time, we should be thinking of how we can grow into the image of Christ, not just coming to hear an interesting message or not just to hang out with friends and have a good time. Um, but coming to see how we might change, what we might put off or put on. So you're right, at some point, I'm not sure how, uh, I mean, in reality, I don't know how often the Jews say like a devout Jew, they're probably still applying the things they learn in the temple um, when they're at home. So I guess I shouldn't speak too much to that, but I can speak to our time, which is to say that um, we are not just working on spiritual things when we come to church. That should be obvious, right? Church is a time where we are, should be encouraged from God's word. We're learning from God's word. Um, we're also fellowshipping with others and encouraging each other to grow and mature into the image of Christ. Um, so to that point, I'm going to read a couple of verses um, <clears throat> Philippians 2.12. Some of you probably have this memorized. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. 2.12. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. <clears throat> so that goal of maturing, that goal of being made into the image of Christ, also known as sanctification, is something that should be done fearfully and in recognition of God's majesty. <clears throat> so that is, in some sense, our maybe not even in some sense, fundamentally what our goal is, should be as believers, right? We're putting off sin, we're putting on righteousness, we're being made into the image of Christ. That's why confronting in sin is so critical is because that should be central to what we're doing in our own lives. That should be central to how we're living. So when I ask, what are we doing to obey? What are we working on to obey? That should be inherent in how we're living as Christians, okay? We should be dying to ourselves, living for Christ. That's what it, it means. So Hebrews 5, 12 to 14 is another passage, deals with that. <clears throat> for though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment 
trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. And that, again, ultimately is that practice of learning how to put into work in our lives the good that we um, see in his word. We're practicing to distinguish good from evil. We're practicing to see how can we make the best use of the time, right? We can't just read the Bible and then know immediately how to make the best use of the time. How much work is too much? How much time at home is too much time at home? How much time letting the kids do what they want is good versus controlling them and disciplining them to do something that we know would be good for them in the long run, right? All of those questions require constant practice. And the idea too is that this, the one who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, meaning the one who is living on solid food is taking God's word, right? The, the word of righteousness, being skilled in the word of righteousness, applying that to their life, learning to distinguish good from evil. That should be an inherent part of our life as believers is we're taking God's word, we're thinking about it, we're applying it, we're changing and growing from it, okay? I pray that that is true for each of us. Um, and this then is the idea that Gins, or that, that uh, opens chapter five, right? That we would keep our feet when we come to the house of God, that we would come having obeyed, that we come living a life where we're walking in step with God's commands. So keep your feet when you go to the house of God, for it is nearer to obey than to offer the sacrifice of disobedience. Okay. <clears throat> Questions on that verse? Further comments? Do you guys think being sanctified or growing into the image of Christ really should be a fundamental central tenet of our Christian life or is that just something sort of extra? Bonus material. I, right. I think it's a given that Christians should be growing, right? What do you um, mean a given? Like, I, I heard the the analogy once, like, if you talk to a carpenter who had been doing carpentry for 30 years, and you said, hey, could you build me a shelf? He said, nah, I don't know how to do that. It's like, we've been doing this for 30 years. How could you not know how to do something so basic as to build me a shelf? Right. And it's the same thing with Christians, like, you shouldn't just say oh well i've been a christian for so long and therefore i'm you know i know everything like you obviously don't but you should be growing to the point that in 30 years somebody should be able to look at you and say oh yeah like you are an experienced christian like you you've learned you've grown what do you could you describe talk about growing <laughs> Could you, I mean, how does that process work, do you think? Because what, what is fundamental to it? So I typically think of Second Peter 1 when I think of, of growth in the Christian life. 
So get there. False prophets also arose among the people. Being able to discern false prophets, but no, that wasn't it. Page isn't turning. Do you mean like um We're we're getting there. There. Okay. Um so his divine power is granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, because he's given you these things, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective, run fruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. If they're increasing, like, that's the growth aspect, I think. Like, day to day, you might not see, um, like, measurable growth. Yeah. But if you look back, you know, a year, two years, like, have you grown in these areas? Did that yeah. answer your question? You look like no. It no, it does. <laughs> I'm just thinking it's it's a different approach because it's more, uh, it's in some ways more abstract. It's one, it's one, uh, it's more general in its nature than I'd say like Ephesians 4. Uh, where it says um, they have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you've heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. And then he elaborates on that. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So it's not different than, it's not contrary to what you're saying at all, but I like the picture and you could explain why you like yours too. That's, I'd love to hear it. My thought is like, it's real simple for my mind to think, okay, I'm, I've got sin so one step is put off that sin or stop doing it. Renew my mind, right? Think rightly about whatever this heart issue is here and then find that heart issue that I need to change and then put on the new behavior that is associated with that heart issue. That's a clear picture for me. Growing in self-control, you know, doesn't involve the putting off the sin aspect necessarily. Do you see what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Now, it does when you flush it out, I think, when you talk about how you actually grow in self-control. But what draws you to that Second Peter passage? I think the, the continual growing aspect that it mentions. And so in Ephesians, it's put off the old self, be renewed in the spirit of your mind, put on the new self. And that's something that happens, but it doesn't give the continual growth over a given amount of time. I see what you're saying. Yeah, no, I, I, I keep getting up because I, I can't see no, your that's, face. That's fine, um, if you were taller. 
<laughs> yeah, like four <laughs> feet taller. Um, actually, we could probably measure that. It might be way up here somewhere. Yeah, it'd, um, be, it'd be tall. So, uh, so let's take both of them together because I don't think they're separate. Exactly. Yep. And um, the idea then is that as we grow as believers, we are putting off sin. We are having to read God's word, hear his preaching, learn about God and his character to renew our minds, right? And then putting on the appropriate behavior and to be doing that continually and growing in that. So over time we see, oh, wow, this person is actually growing into the image of Christ. Um, does that? Mm -hmm. Okay. So then when, we, when we're told to obey, fundamental to that has to be this growth pattern that we're talking about, which means that we should always be engaged in this struggle to put off sin, be reminded of what God's word has to say about that sin, and then put on new behavior. So right, and we'll end with this, but right after that is the thief Right? When is the thief no longer a thief? When, not when he stops stealing, which would be the putting off, but when he works and has something to share with those in need. So he's addressed that hard issue. He's not fundamentally thinking about himself. He's thinking about other people, and he's working to actually help them. That's when he's changed. So when have we overcome a sin? It's not just when we don't eat too much. But I don't know how. What's the converse of that? Um, when we are actually learning to delight in controlling ourselves, something like that, right? To to grow in self-control, to to delight in that, as opposed to delight in the fleshly pleasure, something along those lines. Um, comments on that? Questions? Bridget. Um, nice scarf, I was kind by of, the way. Oh, thank you. Um, I was kind of thinking when you guys were both describing your separate outlooks on it, it's almost like there's the daily, the daily, like very tangible, putting off, putting on, and then there's more of the long term, almost like persevering in the faith. And that's what Alex was kind of describing, like over a period of time, you're seeing that. So I don't know, like making yeah. sure that in your life you're keeping both those in check daily. Am I doing this? And then have I seen growth over time? Or for me as a parent too, I think the long term, it just helps me be patient because I think sometimes it's so easy to be like, why would you do this? You, you know, you, you have made a profession of faith or why are you giving yourself over to this sin? But it is going to be this gradual like growth where you see like very tangible times where they are like, oh wow, that's the mark of a believer. And then there's times where they still struggle. You know what I mean? I don't know. Yeah. I just think having both of those is so crucial. No, it's a good point. And also that you're involved in a body of people who you can look at their kids who are older and say, oh, these kids actually are behaving properly. Let me get counsel and advice, which is what we were just talking about. Uh, Jen. I was just going to tie it into the whole fellowship of the saints oh, with sorry. encouragement of like, Sometimes all you see is the daily nitty gritty of like, I keep trying to put this on and put this off. And you don't always see if you're actually making that trajectory because you're in the forest and the encouragement of other believers when they can come up and say, hey, I can see fruit 
that you are putting on love towards your children when you're internally going, this is so much effort to put on and put off. And the encouragement can be when someone else can say, I see the trajectory that you're going and give you that long-term perspective to say, yes, I am making growth, even though you might feel like you're in the trenches yeah. at the moment. No, that's a, a and then uh, why it's so good to be talking about those issues when you hang out with people, not just fun stuff, right? But actually talking about the issues that we're struggling with as Christians, because one, that's another good reminder, hey, we're all working on this together. But two, that I could see you growing here. Well, if I don't know you're working on it, it's harder for me to really be useful in that way. Yeah. No, thank you. I think we're over time, even though the alarm hasn't gone off. So, all right. Well, thank you guys. Appreciate it.